0: Find your place. Anybody need an outline? Raise your hand if you need an outline. Real quick. We are gonna, we got them passing them out. Quickly, quickly. There you go. Alright. Anybody else raise your hand? Oh, you missed one. Hey, Steve, right here. Right in the middle. Just, there we go. Alright. Alright. Revelation 19. Turn with me to Revelation 19. Man, this is a great, great chapter. This is where we've been uh, wanting to get to since the, since we began the book of Revelation, uh, the advent of Christ, the revelation of Christ, his return back to earth. The Bible says that if you're saved, you're to love his appearing. How many of y'all are looking for him to come? Amen. Amen, I am too. So let's look in Revelation 19. He can come today as far as I'm concerned. Amen, Revelation 19 in verse number one, or sin reign, either one, it doesn't matter. How many of y'all got a garden? Anybody got a garden? Alright. One of us has got sin in our life because it's no rain. So if you got a garden in here or a crop, your crop, Mark, what you got planted? A lot. A lot. Well, it looks like you're the one with the sin then. No. Did you do cotton this year? No cotton this year? Well. Listen, we need some rain, guys. So we need to pray. And if if you know a rain dance, you know, we'll take that too. Whatever it is that we can we can get going, we need it. We need, Is there any on the horizon? I mean, is it Tomorrow, I got faith. We're going to get rain tomorrow. Hey, y'all heard it? Mark called it. Tomorrow night have some faith. Oh, you faithless generation over on this side. See, this out over here has got faith. Y'all over here talking. All right. All right. All right. Here we go. Revelation 19. Revelation 19 and verse number one. If you're there, say amen. amen. It says, and after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, for he hath judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Alleluia, and her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders uh, uh, and the four beasts fell down and worshiped God that sat on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia. And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, say that with me. Praise our God, all ye his servants and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard as it were the voice of great, a great multitude and the voice of many waters and as the voice of mighty thundering saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the lamb is come and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he saith unto me, Right, Blessed are they which are called into the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. I'm going to stop there just so you all can sit down. Uh, uh, But let's pray. Let's pray and let's ask the Lord to uh, uh, honor his word tonight. Let us learn and glean. It's a really, really, really good study tonight. And uh, man, I, it is God fulfilling His promise that He is going to send a Messiah. He's going to send a King, and He is on the way. Amen. Amen. So let's let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your blessings. Lord, we stand in need of your prayers. Lord, we we were joking around about the rain, but we're serious. We really do need it. Lord, the farmers in this area need it, and uh, those with the little gardens need it. And uh, I, I know that that you you control all that. And, Lord, we ask for you, just in faith, we ask you to send the rain. Lord, help us with the rain. And, Lord, I pray that you'll just move in an awesome way. Bless us tonight. I pray, God, that you'll bless your study. Uh, uh, Lord, as we study the return of Christ to this earth to rule and reign and uh, uh, be the King of kings and Lord of lords. I pray that your perfect will be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen Amen and amen. While you're being seated, let's just continue reading. And because uh, and, we're going we're gonna to finish the whole chapter today, Lord's willing. So it, it says after this, after they talked about the marriage supper of the Lamb, it begins to speak about Christ. And it says this, And I fell at his feet to worship him, and he said unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, he's fixing to see, uh, he's fixing to see the vision of Christ coming again. Verse 11, "'And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes as a flame of fire, and his head was many, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God.' And I saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried with a loud voice saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather yourselves together into the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and them that sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him which, uh, with which he deceived them that had deceived the mark, or received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. Both were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. As far as I know that's the first mention of the lake of fire. Uh, and I guess it's appropriate that those two were the first ones thrown into to the lake of fire, which is the future judgment of all the uh, unredeemed and all the demons and, and, and Satan also. And the, redeemed, the remnant were slain with a sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. So let's look in, in verse number one. Let's just begin, uh, uh, go back to this. Now, as, as a small review... Uh, remember what we said, Ch- chapter 17, 18, and 19 go together, right? This is, this is God coming again to judge uh, the Antichrist, his system, his system which is called a prostitute, a harlot, the great whore. Uh, uh, it is a political system, it's a religious system, and it's an economic system. And we said in the very beginning, in 17, in chapter 17, that he is judging the religious system. Now you remember what we said. That this goes back, this goes back all the way to Nimrod. And I think even, you know, I've been, I was thinking about it today, sitting in my office. I think it, it goes also back to, uh, we could trace it all the way back to Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel. Abel had a, a, an offering of grace. He, he, he came and brought a blood sacrifice, which is all of grace. Amen? Abel, or excuse me, Cain was of the work of his hands. In other words, Works. You remember what we said? All religions, all religions, there's only two kinds. Say, but there's thousands and thousands. I know, but there's only two kinds there's a religion of works, and there's a religion of grace. All right? The religion of grace is the only true religion. That is the grace of God, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. For by grace are you saved through faith that not of yourself that is, is the gift of God, not of works, not of works, say it with me, not of works, lest any man should boast, right? Without faith, it's impossible to please him, right? But everything else is works. You got to do this. You got to do that. Every other religion is works. This is the great whore. This is the system, this is, in other words, this is man's way of getting to heaven. This is man's idea. This is what man works up. I've got to do this, I've got to do that. People have this idea that that God is, he is recording our good works and our bad works, and when we get to heaven, if our good works outweigh our bad works, then we're good enough to get in, and that's all an abomination. The devil, wants you, the devil wants you to uh, think you can get yourself there, that you can work yourself there, that you've got to be good enough to get there. That is that system. That whole system from the very beginning of time has corrupted mankind and, and gone against the will of God, which is the system of grace, the grace of God. Now, that was dealt with and judged in chapter 17. Chapter 18, if you'll remember uh, last week, the last time we came together, we talked about the economic system. If you'll remember, there was a one-world government. There's a one-world economic system where you have to get a mark. You cannot buy. You cannot sell without this mark. That is the system. How many of y'all remember that? All right, that is judged in chapter 18. Now, in chapter 19, we're looking at Jesus judging the political He's having all the kings of the earth coming together, all the armies of the earth coming together in Armageddon, and he's going to finally deal with it all. So this is the final judgment. This is the final dealings with uh, good against evil, Christ against the Antichrist. This is the culmination of it. Chapter 19 is God finally dealing with it. Are you all with me? Say amen. Amen. Now, Now, what we read last time, Uh, What was happening when God judged the economic system and Babylon was burning? It was destroyed. God judged it. Babylon is burning. What were the people of the earth doing? They were mourning. They were grieving, right? They were upset. They're angry. They're they're in mourning. But what's happening in heaven? What's happening in heaven? They're praising and they're rejoicing. You see, this this is what's happening now. Right now, evil seems to be winning. And and, and, and and wickedness is rejoicing here on this earth while churches are being destroyed, Christians are being murdered and martyred all over the world, but there's coming a day when that's going to flip. There's coming a day when the rejoicing is going to be in heaven and the morning's going to be on earth. Say amen. Hallelujah. And that's what we see. That's what we're finding here in these first few chapters. So there's two parts to this chapter. First, we see the joy in heaven. And then we're going to look at the judgment on earth. So let's look first at the joy in heaven. Verses 1 through 10. Look what it says. And after these things, I heard a voice. After what things? After the judgment of the economic system on earth. Right? That's what he's saying. After these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments. For he hath judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornication. That's that system. That's that, that's that uh, uh, former uh, religious system that, that judged the earth or, or corrupted the earth with her fornication and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. Now, look what it says. First, if, write this down. We see the manifestation of praise. There is praise. Matter of fact, three different hallelujahs. Okay? So we see the manifestation of praise. Three different different things they're praising for. And that's what we're going to look at. Three different uh, uh, causes of praise. What are they praising for? Look at verse 1. It says, hallelujah. What's that next word? Everybody say it. Everybody say it. All right. They're praising. We see the praise of rejoicing redemption. They're praising for the redeeming salvation of God. I'm redeemed by love divine. Glory, glory. Christ is mine. Amen. We've been purchased. We've been bought back. We've been redeemed by the blood. Amen. If you can't get happy about that, something's wrong. I I, I wonder when you talk about heaven and people can't get excited about heaven, they forgot where they were going. Amen. They're they're saying he's he's redeemed. He's brought us. He's, He's brought salvation, glory, and honor. Now look. Look at the next. We see not only rejoicing redemption but secondly they're praising for righteous retribution. See this is different. We're not we're not living we're not living in an age that they are living in. We're living today where you're supposed to you're supposed to love your neighbor. And not only your neighbor, but who else? The enemy. But in this day they're crying out for vengeance. Now today, Jesus says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, right? right. And we're to forgive even our neighbor, even our enemy and love our enemy and those that despitefully use us. But in that day, they're crying for vengeance. How long, O Lord? You remember back in the earlier chapters? How long will thou not avenge our blood? Well, guess what? He's doing it. And they're praising him for bringing judgment on the wicked. Now, I know that sounds crazy, but if you go through the Old Testament there are many places where you see that the, the saints rejoice over the demise of the wicked. In other words, not necessarily the condemnation of the wicked in hell, but God stopping wickedness. Now, I'm telling you, I, 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 when you see what's happening in this world, when you, when you see, I, I, I was talking with a young lady uh, uh, yesterday yesterday. And uh, and and she we were we were discussing uh, the fact of 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 this well, the question was does God hate the devil, and and so we got in a long discussion about that and and I showed her verses that it, it talks about in the Old Testament where God hates wickedness, and and, and the only way and, and I gave her the illustration of a doctor, you know a doctor loves health. H-E-A-L-T-H, right? Health. He loves health. He wants to see people healthy. He wants to fight disease. The only way to love health is to hate disease. Are y'all with me? And there are many places throughout the Old Testament that, that deals with the saints rejoicing over God stopping and removing the wicked. And we see the saints here. They are praising God because God is finally judging the wicked and removing sin from this earth. So, they're they're praising over the retribution. God bringing on the wicked what they deserve. But then they praise for royal reigning. Verse 4 and 6. The four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshiped God that sat on the throne, saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And a voice came out of the throne, saying, Praise our God, all ye servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude... And as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of a mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, why are they praising? For the Lord God omnipotent, what? Now, what did God say? What did God say when he taught his, 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 his disciples to pray? He said, when you pray, pray, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy. For, oh, oh, oh. Thy. is here now think about this for centuries for centuries saints of God have been praying in their model prayer thy now it is is here so they're praising they're praising the God who reigneth are y'all with me say amen Now, look, we see the manifestation of praise. Secondly, secondly, the joy in heaven. We see the marriage of Christ in the church. We see the marriage of Christ in the church. And this is imagery. This is imagery, guys. Uh, He is is describing describing the relationship, the husband and wife relationship, the intimacy that's there, the closeness that's there. And he says this. He said, let us rejoice, verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him. Honor to Him. That's talking about Christ, the Lamb of God. Give honor to Him for the marriage of the Lamb Lamb has come. And His wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And He saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb, and he, and, the, and he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. Now let's look in our let's look at our notes. First we see the manifestation of praise. Then we see the marriage of Christ in the church. Alright? Three things I want to show you here. Number one, I want you to see the presentation of the bridegroom. Presentation of the bridegroom. Now what's significant about that? What what song, or typically, you know, now, now they play all kind of stuff at weddings, but the traditional wedding, when, when it came time to open the doors and the bride steps in the door and her father, what, what do they play? Say it again. So this is the presentation of the bride. All right. The bride gets all the attention. The, the, basically the bride gets all the glory, you know, and, and all that we are presenting the bride. Here comes the, well, it's exact opposite here. If there was a song, they'd be singing, here comes the bridegroom. You know why? Because he's the only one that deserves the glory. And he's the only one that deserves the honor. This is not about the bride. It's not showcasing the bride. It's showcasing the bridegroom. That's why it says, look what it says. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the the marriage of the lamb. Lamb." doesn't say the bride. It's the marriage of the lamb. Okay, he's the, he's the significant one. He is the, he is the, uh, 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 the, the center of all everyone's attention. The marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. The presentation of the bridegroom in the modern day wedding, as we said, the bride gets all the honor, but not so at this wedding. This wedding is different. It's not the marriage of the bride, but the marriage of the lamb. It is his joy that is especially in view, not the joy of the bride. Never forget. You ought to underline that. Never forget. God saved you for Christ's sake. God didn't save you because you deserved it. God didn't save you because you earned it. Because by the deeds of the law shall no man be justified. For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Our righteousness are as filthy rags in God's eyes. In other words, the very best deeds we could do in God's eyes are still as filthy rags. God didn't save you for your goodness. God didn't save you for your righteousness because you didn't have any. There is none righteous, no, not one. God saved you because of his son. Are y'all with me? Now watch. Now watch, this is this is very important. God saves us for the sake of his only begotten son in whom he is well pleased. Now no details of the marriage are given, but we know it takes place on the eve of the Lord's return to earth and power. The marriage of the lamb is the disclosed secret of Ephesians 5:32. The scriptures clearly teach that the Bible is not Israel, or excuse me, the bride is not Israel nor a remnant of Israel. But as definitely a Gentile bride called out from all races, the church is made up of whosoever will, not a specific group or a specific nation. Church, say amen. amen. Now, I want to read something to you. This is not in your notes, so just just take a, take a break with your pen. And, and this just describes a little bit of the imagery of the wedding, okay? The imagery of marriage is used frequently in Scripture, A marriage was the single greatest celebration and social event of the biblical world. Wedding preparations and celebrations in ancient times were even more elaborate and involved than those of today and also lasted longer. They consist of three distinct stages. First was the betrothal or the engagement. This was an arrangement by both sets of parents contracting the marriage of their children. It was legally binding. Can you imagine your parent picking yours? And they talk about the good old days. (laughs) Anyway, anyway, the parents would would get together, make an arrangement, and and make an agreement, and have a uh, a betrothal contract. A contract was signed. And and by the way, when you were engaged in that day, you had to be divorced. I mean, it was like you were already married, but you just hadn't come together yet. And so, so we find that the betrothal contract was often, often signed long before the children reached a marriageable age. Now, since a marriage represented the union of two families, it was natural for the parents to be involved. And there were years of preparation for the time of marriage as the boy prepared for his bride. In other words, the boy would go home and he would begin to prepare a place. He would work on a home. He would work on a room in the father's house. Does that sound familiar? You know, we've we've talked about this before. John 14, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And that's uh, John 14 is describing this process. All right. Now. When he gets the place ready, when he gets the place prepared, the second stage of a wedding was the presentation, a time of festivities just before the actual ceremony. Now, those festivities could last up to a week or even more, depending on the economic and social status of the bride and groom. The third and most significant stage of a wedding was the actual ceremony during which the vows were exchanged, and at the end of the presentation festivities, the groom and his attendants would go to the bride's house and take her and her bridesmaids to the ceremony. After the ceremony would come a final meal. This was, this was the, 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 the end of the deal. This was the, the final meal, the wedding supper, and after the final meal, followed by the consummation of the marriage. Now, Scripture uses the familiar imagery of a wedding to picture the Lord's relationship with his church. We see this in 2 Corinthians 11, 2. It mentions the betrothal of the church to Christ. Paul wrote, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. He said, for I betrothed you to one husband so that Christ to Christ I might present you a, a chaste virgin. Uh, the church's betrothal contract was signed in eternity past when the Father promised the Son to redeem people. And then the Apostle Paul described the church's presentation in Ephesians five twenty five. Where he said, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, that he may sanctify her, cleanse her, sanctify her uh, uh, by the washing water, by the word, that he might present to himself the church in all of her glory with no spot, no wrinkle, no such thing. She should be holy. She should be blameless. And this is the presentation. And this is what we're seeing here. We're seeing, uh, we know when when we tie in John 14, he says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will what? I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That's the rapture. Okay? That's, that's John, Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. And, and now, now we're seeing the celebration. Usually it's a week-long celebration. That was the typical. So we've been, we've been uh, uh, received by our bridegroom, the church, the body of Christ. Seven years we've been celebrating. Seven years we've been presenting this ceremony up in heaven and and, and and receiving our rewards and receiving our blessings. And now it's time for the supper. Are y'all with me? Say amen. The preparation of the bride. We have to be ready. We have to be prepared. God is going to clean us up. How many of y'all know he's still working on all of us? But how many of y'all know one day we're going to be there? I like that. I like what the one preacher said. He said, I'm not, I'm not what I ought to be, but I'm not what I used to be. And I'm not what I'm going to be. (laughs) Amen. Now look, look what it says. Look what it says. The Bible says in verse eight, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And, and let me, let's go back to our, let's go back to our notes. Ephesians 525, husbands love your wives. Even as Christ also loved the church, gave himself for it. That he might sanctify and cleanse it through the washing of water by the word. What does the Bible say in the Old Testament? Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed unto what? The word. The word. The word will work if you work it. It will clean you from the inside out. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Amen. All right. That he might present it to himself. A glorious church. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Then we see number three, the proclamation of the blessed. We see the presentation of the bridegroom. He's the center of attention. He's the main character. All eyes will be toward him. We'll be at the altar and the doors are open and he'll step in. Amen. Here comes the bridegroom. And then we see the preparation of the bride. We'll We'll be given clean linen white and clean fine linen now watch this verse 9 we'll tie verse 9 in with john baptist verse 9 and he saith unto me right blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the lamb and he saith unto me these are the true saints of god now who are these people these are everybody that's not the bride these are everybody that's not the bride now where do we take that from look what it says in uh, in John chapter three verse twenty nine, it says, "He that hath the bride is the who." Now before we, before we go on, this is this is people that are questioning John Baptist. All right, John Baptist is still alive at this point, and uh, he he has been in ministry. They've been following him. He's been preaching, tracting crowds from everywhere, baptizing people, getting people repenting of their sins, and uh, and then now. It's coming time for him to step off the scene, and Jesus is coming forward. He's baptized Jesus. Uh, he has declared Jesus and who he is. And uh, behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. And so people are beginning to leave John's ministry, and they're beginning to follow Jesus. And some of his disciples are saying, whoa, 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 what's all this about? You know, hey, they're leaving you. They're, they're following this man you baptize. And, 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 this, one, uh, and this, is what, this is John's response and reply to them. This, look what he says. Look what he says. He says, he that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy. So what is John Baptist saying he is? He's the friend of the bridegroom. Okay? This my joy therefore is fulfilled. And right after that, the next verse is where he said, he must increase, but I must decrease. Right? And so here's what he's saying. I'm not part of the bride. I'm I'm the friend of the bridegroom. I'm not not in the wedding. I'm at the wedding. Are y'all with me? And so who's that going to be? That's going to be Old Testament saints. It's going to be everybody that's not... I believe it's going to be those that were martyred during the tribulation period and the Old Testament saints before Christ, before the church came into being. And uh, the church is special. It is a distinct separation from Old Testament saints and then the tribulation saints. All right? Church, say amen. Now, what a, what a rejoicing. What a, a celebration. Uh, what a blessing. What an exciting time. What what an encouragement to know that God's promises are going to be fulfilled. He's going to do what he said he's going to do. It's going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. But there's something left to be done. There's something left to be done. All right, where where is, is the Lord Jesus Christ's kingdom going to be? On earth, right? On earth. Where's the capital? Jerusalem, okay, there's one problem, it's full of, it's full of heathens, right, it's full of the enemy, now here's the deal, here's the deal, this is what's taking place, here's what's taking place, let's go back, let's go back to, uh, let's go back to Revelation chapter number 6, no, no. Let's go back to Revelation chapter number four, all right? Now, did he take the scroll in four or five? Is it five? Okay, we see the the, the image in heaven. We see the scene in heaven. Chapter four and five is the scene in heaven. You know, we see the 24 elders and and, and the worship. Then we see the lamb stands. I I think you're right. I think it's in five where he steps forward and takes the scroll. Now, how many of y'all remember what the scroll is? It's the what of the earth? The, The title deed to the earth, right? He's taken what is rightfully his. He has paid for it. He died for it. He redeemed it. But now, listen, he has the deed. But what we're seeing here in chapter number 19, he is taking possession. He's coming to this earth to take possession. He has sent plague after plague after plague. He has sent judgment after judgment after judgment. And he has sent. Now watch this. He has sent. Uh, uh, ministry after ministry after ministry. We see the witness of the 144,000. We see the two witnesses that have supernatural power. We see the angel that is proclaiming the gospel in the heavens, right? And not only that, but all of the tribulation saints that have believed in these three gospel ministries, they are witnessing. And so this earth has been saturated not only with the glory and the gospel of Christ, it's been saturated with the judgment of God. Do y'all see this? In other words, it says, righteous and true are his judgments. What we're fixing to see is going to sound like this is awful. This is God is a God is a terrible being to do what he's fixing to do. No, he's not. For seven years years he has sent untold amount of witness to this world he's not only done that to get their attention he sent unbelievable judgments to get their attention are y'all with me not only preaching but whoopings now what do you what do you do what do you do to try to get the attention of your child you try to teach them if the teaching don't work you yeah you whoop them You judge them. You bring repercussions. But here's the the sad part. According to Scripture, what we've studied already, they know that this is coming from God, yet still will not repent. They know it's coming from God. They know where the judgment's coming from. But they refuse to repent because their deeds were evil and they love darkness rather than light. So now, in this chapter, we're going to see where God is going to annihilate all the wicked. All the wicked. All right? Now, let's look what it says. We see the judgment on earth. Before Christ reigns, before Christ reigns on earth, he must subdue every enemy and opposing force. The conflict of Armageddon is about to occur. Up to this point, Christ has been directing earth's judgment from his throne in heaven. But now he leaves heaven and descends to the earth for the purpose of completing the work of judgment before he establishes his millennial kingdom. So, so A, if you're taking notes, write this down. We see the advent of Christ. We see the advent of Christ. Look what it says. In verse number 11. And I saw heaven opened. I saw heaven open. All right, now here, here's, here's, let's compare this verse, verse number 11. Let's compare this one with chapter 4, verse 1. All right, when this, this series of visions began with John, he said in chapter 4, verse 1, he said, I heard a voice behind me as there a trumpet talking to me saying, come up hither. He said, what, what happened? A door was opened in heaven, right? Now, this is, this is what's different. There's an opening in heaven in chapter 4 so somebody can get in. The opening now is so somebody can come out. All right? All right? The first one is the rapture. All right? The first one represents the rapture for all the saints of God to go opening into heaven. Immediately he was in the spirit and he was in the throne room. And so that's to get in. Right? That's the rapture. Say that with me. That's the, that's the rapture. Now we're reading, we're reading where the heaven is open and Christ is coming. This is the revelation. You, want to, you can just call it the advent or the revelation if you want to keep it alliterated. 4-1 is the rapture. Nineteen eleven is the revelation. In other words, what, what do we say when we first started this whole, whole series? What is revelation? It's the unveiling. You know, it's the, the word apocalypse. It's the unveiling, the uncovering as, a, as a, they would uncover a statue. It's revealing where Jesus is being revealed to this planet. And it says, every eye will see him. Every eye will see him and mourn. Are y'all with me? Say amen. So we see the heavens open. Verse 11. And behold, a white horse and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, and in righteousness, he doth what? And? Now, why is that important? How many of y'all know there's been some unrighteous wars? There's been wars that have have taken place out of wickedness. How many of y'all know that there's been judgments that were unrighteous too? that were wrong and unfair and not right. Well, he is showing us here what Jesus is fixing to do is completely righteous. What he is fixing to do is holy. It is pure. The white on the horse represents purity, complete righteousness. What he's fixing to do, the steps he's fixing to take. So we see the advent of Christ. John sees heaven open for his descent. As we said, chapter 4, the opening was so they can get in. Chapter uh, 19, 11, so they can come out. They marked the clear distinction between Christ coming for his saints and his coming with his saints. All right, let me say that again. The clear distinction is this. In chapter 4, 1, Christ is coming for his saints. And in uh, 19, 11, he's coming, say it with me, he's coming... With his saints. The first discloses the rapture, the second unfolds the revelation. All who enter heaven through the door in 4 1 will come again with Christ when heaven is opened in 1911. So, this is the revealing of Christ. He's coming back to this earth, <clears throat> and he's coming for war. You're going to notice he's a little different this time. The first time he was a helpless baby who needed the care and the nurturing and the nursing of his own mother. He was poor. He came in humility. He came in meekness. He came into his own and his own received him not. He came with no place to lay his head. Foxes have holes, the birds have nests, but the son of man had nowhere to lay his head. But this time is different. The first time he came in mercy. The first time he came in grace. The first time he came in love and compassion and forgiveness. But watch this. As he begins to describe his appearance, he says this. He saw, I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Verse 14, and the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Let's see who they are. Who's the armies in heaven? We not only see the advent of Christ, but we see the armies of Christ. First, we see the church. The church. Wherever you find the bridegroom, you're going to find who? Or the bride. The bride, right? All right. What did Jesus say? What did Jesus say? He said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there there ye may be also. So we know that's part of the army, the church. Then we see the Old Testament saints. I'll give you all four and then we'll read the verses that coincide. The church, the Old Testament saints, the tribulation saints, number three. The tribulation saints. Oh, Mark, I heard that motorcycle. I thought it was thunder already. I said, man, you praying (laughs) good. Woo. (laughs) Ah. (sighs) Steve, that had to have been a Harley, man. Come on now. Great day. Boy, I thought that was done <laughs> All right. Number four. <clears throat> Number four, we see the church, the Old Testament saints, the tribulation saints, and the angels. The angels are going to be part of this. Alright, now let's look at our verses. Matthew twenty five, thirty-one describes this event. It says, When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels, holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. Jude 14 and 15 says, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. 2 Thessalonians one seven. And to you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe because our testimony among you is believed in that day. So we see Christ is coming with his armies. All right? Then, see, I want you to see the authority of Christ. Let's look at his description. The authority of Christ. We see the authority of Christ, number one, seen in his appearance. We see the authority of Christ in his appearance. Let's go back to verse 12. His eyes were a flame of fire. What What do we say fire represents? Judgment, right? Judgment. You know, there was a day that Christ's eyes was eyes of pity. Where he looked on Jerusalem and, and he said, he said, how oft would I have? I have gathered you under my wings as a mother, uh, her chicks. And, and there were eyes of, 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 of pity where, and compassion where he wept at Lazarus' death. Not because he died, but because they were mourning and grieving. He knew he was fixing to go raise him back. So he wasn't crying because he had died. He was weeping and he was letting those people know, I feel your pain. I can associate with what you do." And those were the eyes. Those were eyes that looked upon the, the people that had, were scattered as sheep having no shepherd. Man, the sweet eyes of love and, and, and gentleness that, that looked on the little children when he said, Suffer the little children to come unto me for such is the kingdom of heaven. But look now. They're eyes of fire. These are eyes of judgment. These are piercing eyes, eyes that look down into the very soul, eyes where nothing can be hid from it, eyes that see everything, eyes of fire, and on his head were many crowns. Say that with me. On his head were? Now, in the, in, in, in the old days, in the ancient days, it was customary for the conquering king to collect the crowns of the defeated kings. Now, Now, keep in mind, keep in mind. Who are we fighting here? All right? If we go back and, 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 and look at it again and, and come back through, we find that there's an Antichrist. He's the world leader. He's the main dictator, right? But underneath him, there are 10 regents or 10 uh, rulers underneath him, 10 uh, world leaders who have pledged their allegiance to the Antichrist. So what is, he, what is this picture showing? He's going to get all of their crowns that make sense on his head were many crowns crowns of who crowns of all those he's defeated he's coming as king of and lord of are y'all with me his authority there's not going to be anybody but him he's going to be the one ruler he's going to be the sole ruler he's going to be the king of this earth the king of the universe amen we see let's keep reading it says, on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. Now, we see three names, all right? We see the one that nobody knows. We see the word of God, which that tells us right away, according to John chapter 1, that that's Christ, right? John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, the same as again in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And in a couple verses it says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The only one that did that is Jesus, right? So we know we can identify this person on this white horse. This is Jesus. And then, then it says he's got a name, King of kings and Lord of lords, all right? Now some people have speculated that first one, the one that says nobody knew but him. But why are we going to speculate if the Bible says nobody knows it? If nobody knows it but him, nobody's speculation is right. So don't even try, right? Okay, so we see the three names. Now let's 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 go back. Let's go back. Uh, verse thirteen, and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. <clears throat> this represents the blood of his enemies. This is the blood of his enemies. Now, now here's the thing: it's described this valley. Now we're talking about Armageddon. Is everybody understanding that what we're talking about right here? This whole description here is Armageddon. The the all the armies of this earth, the, the Antichrist. You remember the four, the three frogs, the 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 the, the, de, the the which represented a demon that came out of the prophet, came out of the Antichrist, and and came out of the uh uh, uh help me false prophet. There we go. And and so here we find they've gone throughout this whole earth gathering all the armies together. So they have been demonically influenced to come and join up with the Antichrist. So all of the armies of the earth, all of them are coming down into this valley to come to Israel to attack Christ. They know they're fighting God. How arrogant is that? It's just as arrogant as Nimrod and his crowd thinking they're going to build a tower to God. Right? So here they are. Here they're coming. And and it's described as a wine press. A wine press. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about a wine press? Maybe you've seen one on TV. It's just like a big tub. It's like a big tub with a pipe at the bottom of it. And they fill this tub. The old, old days, they'd actually get in it and step in it. Now, I don't understand that, but anyway, barefooted, barefooted, step in it, and, and it, would pulverize, it would pulverize the grapes, and as it pulverized the grapes, then the, the juice would come out the bottom of the vat. Y'all with me? Now, think about that, that imagery. This valley, the Valley of Megiddo, the Valley of Armageddon, is being described that God is piling all these armies, all these humans into this valley. Just like it was a, a vat or a wine press. Guess who's going to be walking in it? Jesus. His vesture. You see where this is going? His, he had a vesture dipped in. Now the Bible says in that 200 mile stretch, there's going to be millions and millions and millions of people in this 200-mile stretch, is going to die. And their blood is going to splatter so high they'll be up to the horse's bits. And this is representing a conquering king. The blood of his enemies will be upon his... And uh, if you want to look up uh, Isaiah 63. I think Isaiah 63 is a good commentary to this point. If it's not, uh, I'll post it later. Uh, I'll post it later on my Facebook. But I'm pretty sure it's Isaiah 63 one through one through five or one through six is describing this. Can somebody go there real quick? You, you there? What, read that first verse. Yeah. From Edom. Yep, that's the one. That's the one. All right, I'm right. I'm right. At, we we don't have time tonight, but. For you know to to describe this this scene, you'll see and they'll talk about it'll talk about the 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 victor coming with the blood on his vesture with the blood on his on his on his clothes. Just Isaiah sixty three, I think it's like one through five or one through six would be some good reading right there. All right, now let's keep reading. Let's keep reading. His name is called the Word of God. The armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Now. Now, look what, it, look what we see. Not only his uh, appearance. Oh, we forgot one. All right, verse 15. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp... All right, what comes out of your mouth? Words. Words. The word of God is quick and powerful. Come on. Sharper than any two-edged sword. So, the image is a sword. So what is, what is Jesus going to use to kill the enemy? The word. He's just going to speak it. Can you imagine? There's really not going to be a war. He's just going to speak their destruction. Now we're with him. We're the armies with him. But we're not needed. Right? We're just, now let's think about this a minute. I know we're running out of time. But let's apply that to the day. Let's apply that to the day. How many of y'all have battled stuff lately? You know what God showed me yesterday? Why are you battling? It says the battle is the Lord's. You know my contribution to the battle? I know y'all are more spiritual than me, but you know what my contri- contribution to the battle is? Worry. How many, that's y'all's contribution. How's that working for you? Do you understand that no matter what your enemy is, all God's got to do is... <laughs> anyway. Anyway, that'll help somebody. It helped help me. Yes, amen, glory. All right, we see in his appearance. Now, we're talking about the authority of Christ, right? The authority of Christ, seen in his, number one, I done gave it to you people. (laughs) Seen in his appearance. All right, number two, seen in his agenda. Seen in his agenda. What is his agenda? He's coming to judge and make war. All right, we see his authority in his agenda. He's coming to judge and make war. Then number three, hurry, hurry, hurry. We're running out of time. Number three. Seen in his announcement. Seen in his announcement. What is the announcement? Look at verse 16. He hath on his, oh, 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 back up, back up. Verse 15, verse 15. I I, I want y'all to see where I'm getting this, the wine press. Out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, all the nations that come into this valley. He shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth. You remember that? That's that, treadeth. He's stomping right in the wine press. He treadeth the wine press of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. He hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written. Say it with me. King of kings and Lord of lords. Say it again. King of kings and Lord of lords. All right, that's his announcement. He is the king. Now that's when. It, that's when. That's when. Y'all pay attention? That's when. Isaiah 9 comes into being. Isaiah 9. What is Isaiah 9? For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. All right. Watch this. Watch this. Y'all ready for this? I just got this. Just now. Yeah. For unto us a child is born. That's his birth. Shocker. (laughs) That's his birth. Watch this. Unto us a son is given. That's his death. But God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ what? For God so loved the world that he, his only begotten son. What does that mean? He gave him, he died, he was the sacrifice, right? Now look, for unto us a child is born. That's his arrival, that's his birth. Unto us a son is given, that's his death, that's the cross. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. That's his return. That's Revelation 19. That's what we're talking about. The government of the world will be upon his shoulder. Listen, when he begins to reign on this earth, his name shall be called. And we can come to him and and, and know he is a. He is the counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father. Listen, when will the world finally have peace? When the prince of. Comes. Say Amen. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom. Where's the throne of David? Jerusalem. Jerusalem Jerusalem will be the capital of the world. On the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment, with justice. From henceforth, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Say amen. 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 Now watch this. It says in Isaiah eleven four, And with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. Say amen. amen. Now, I know what you're thinking. If he's ruling, if he's ruling, and, 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 and during the millennial reign, a thousand years on earth, he's going to change the atmosphere, that's when the lion shall lay down by the lamb, and, the, you know, all that stuff. Why has he got to rule the rod of iron? I don't don't know if you understand the concept, but ruling with a rod of iron means firm, right? Because there will still be man in his natural form. Now, we're going to have glorified bodies, the church, the body of Christ, but there will be people who have survived through the tribulation period and go into his kingdom. Are y'all with me? And they will birth children through that thousand years. And guess what? Man will still be man. So God will have to rule with a rod of wine. The Bible says foolishness is bound in the heart of the child. But the rod of correction will drive it far from him. Anyway, I got 23 seconds. I'll explain that later. <clears throat> All right, D, we see the avenging of Christ. The avenging of Christ. Oh, I put it on the outline. I forgot I put it on the outline. Isaiah 63, 1 through 6. All right. Two things. Write this down. The voracious fowls. Voracious means hungry. Look what it says. I'm not making this up. Verse 17. And I saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried with a loud voice saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great god that ye may eat the flesh of kings and flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them and the flesh of all men both free and bond both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse. You see they knew who they were fighting. They're not coming to fight the Jews. They're coming to fight the King of the Jews. Y'all with me? And against his army. And and, and but let's let's go back. Let's go back. We see the, the the birds. Man, I've got a really cool story to read to y'all, but I, it's a whole page, and I won't have time. Uh, let me give you the summary. The summary. The Israeli Air Force. The Israeli Air Force was having problems uh, with their their pilots getting killed. Because they, their jets were running into birds. Because they like have an, an unbelievable amount of birds. And they found out, they started researching that. And, and they found out that most of, most of Europe, all the way up to Siberia, their big fowls, vultures, uh, buzzards, everything that you can imagine, they all, they fly south and they migrate down into Africa. And, and there's only one route that they take, and they have to fly over Israel because if you go east of Israel, it's all desert, and there's no food, all right? If you go west of Israel, where do you go? The Mediterranean, it's sea, ocean. There, there's one track down through there that those birds take. You say, how are they going to have that many birds to eat that many millions of people? Guess what? Anyway, I may post it later and you can read it. It's really cool. The voracious fowls, number two, the vanquished foes. The vanquished foes. Okay. In other words, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. We're over time, but I'm going to summarize this. This is what we see. All right, Jesus is coming back to take possession of the earth. All right the Antichrist is going to do what he can to stop it because he has has, uh, been possessed by the devil. Okay? So basically, it's the devil fighting against, you know, vicariously through the Antichrist. All right? And so the Antichrist knows it's time. And I'm fixing to lose my kingdom because he has built an empire, the greatest human empire since the beginning of time. Really, since the time of Nimrod, okay? The greatest empire, greater than Alexander the Great, greater than Hitler, greater than any of the pharaohs, greater than any of the Assyrians, anybody's, Greater than Rome, it'll be the greatest kingdom empire that man has ever known. And he's not going to go down without a fight. So demonically influenced people, have come from all over the world. All the armies of the earth are going to converge into that valley, the Valley of Megiddo. Jesus calls it the winepress of the wrath of Almighty God. And they're going to come to fight. And they're going to come to make war against him who sits on the horse and their armies. And the first thing that's going to happen, according to this chapter, is he's just—he's not even going to say the word. He's just going to take the false prophet and the beast, which is the Antichrist, and he's just going to throw them alive in the lake of fire. He said, I'm just not going to mess with you. Boom. It's what it says. Read it. This is the first time we find the lake of fire. And these will be the first two that will end up in the lake of fire. Are y'all with me? And then he's going to say the word and he's going to annihilate all those armies. There's going to be so much blood and so much carnage. That the, that the fowls of the air, the buzzards and the, and the, and the, the ravens are going to come and pick the flesh. It's going to take seven months to bury the dead. So, that's where we're at. But, we win. Church, say amen. amen. The kingdom begins. Jesus comes. He steps, which we're not there yet. I'll stop. Man, you got to just, this is great stuff. Amen. All right. Well, let's pray. Let's pray, and we'll we'll dismiss. Lord, thank you so.